Next Sunday evening is the Oscars. You may or may not care about that. That's okay. Um, but if it was up to me, if I was in charge of the world, and I definitely am not, um, I would, for the movie, best movie of the year award, it would always come from the movie that I'm about to show you a clip from. So uh, if you would give your attention to The Princess Bride, please. There you go. Well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open his mouth. Now, mostly dead is slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. Hey! Hello in there! Hey! What's so important? What you got here, that's worth living for. True love. You heard him? You could not ask for a more noble cause than that. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world. Except for a nice MLT. Mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich when the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. It's so perky. I love that. But that's not what he said. He distinctly said, to blave. And as we all know, to blave means to bluff. Huh? So you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. Liar! 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 Get back, witch! I'm not a witch, I'm your wife! <laughs> all right, now that you wish you could watch the rest of that movie and not listen to me, uh, I'm going to interrupt that and talk. But uh, that scene asks a question. That is a good question. There are a lot of things that you can learn, a lot of wisdom that you could learn for life. There was a book many years ago uh, entitled "Everything I Need to Know" or "Everything I Need to Learn," "Everything I Need to Know About Life I Learned in Kindergarten." Whatever that book title was, I just butched, butchered, uh, botched, whatever. I can't even talk here. We should just watch the movie and go home. Um, uh, and I do know. Let me say this: I do know that most of you aren't listening to me because you're already daydreaming about Patrick Mahomes. I get that. Okay, so just if you'll just give me 15, 20, 30 minutes of your day, I'll get you out of here quickly. Uh, but that movie ask a question. There's a lot of wisdom you can ask from that, uh, draw from that movie. If you were a, a wise husband, wise hope-to-be boyfriend, uh, you can gain a lot of romantic wisdom from the Princess Bride when asked anything as you wish. If you were to answer every question asked of you as you wish, you would get along well in life and love, okay? Uh, how about the wisdom, military wisdom of the Princess Bride, never start a land war in Asia? That's probably a lot of wisdom in that. Um, there's other things we could look at. But the question that was just asked from Medicine, a miracle, I keep calling him Mad Max in first service, and that's a completely different movie. Um, miracle Max asked of our half-dead, half-alive Wesley is this, what you got here that's worth living for? And that's a good question. What do I have here that is worth living for? And that's the question that we are going to look at over the next um, couple months here. Um, we started off the year, and I just caught this last night. I don't know why I didn't catch it till last night. I was looking over things, and the first four weeks of the year, we kind of looked at the theme of, well, how would my life be better if I had less of certain things, right? And so we listed a series of things that would be better to have less than, and then it caught me last night that I thought, oh, now I'm going to tell you the exact opposite of that. I want to put more into your life with this series, and, and, um, I, but I do it in pur on purpose because I think the things that we looked at getting rid of in those first few weeks are things that all of us would be better off if they weren't there. But for certain, the things that we're going to look at in the next few weeks as we think about this issue of, of calling 
on our life, um, the more of that, the more of Jesus calling in our life that we have, the more we become, the better we become, the healthier we become, the holier we become. All of those things, that more of Jesus factor, make such a big and good difference in our life. And so um, I didn't intentionally play with that word more, but I did it. And so whether good or bad, um, we, we want to get rid of all that stuff because less is more in some cases but in this situation, certainly more of Jesus is better. It's good for us and healthier for us. And so as we dive into this today, this is very much an introductory sermon to this whole series. Um, and in order to do that, I'm going to introduce um, some verbiage, some lingo, uh, some words, and some themes today that we're not going to go deep into today, but I hope that you'll come back and stick with us because there are things that if we know these things and then can unpack them as we go, I think this will be helpful and, um, and um, um, growing for us as we walk through this. This series is based on two assumptions from two very familiar verses, and then one, uh, one emotion, one struggle, one uh, heart issue that oftentimes we have. But let me show you the two verses here first. The first is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Um, we looked at this a little bit last fall, and we will look at this verse several times in the next few weeks. But Paul would write this in Ephesians 2, verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a lot in that verse, and we'll unpack that over the next few weeks, but I want you to understand that idea, that if I am going to appreciate and understand and relate to and grow in this sense of calling over my life, I have to begin with this thought that I am made by God, for God, for important work for the Lord. And all of that theme, that truth, has to be in my heart and in my mind that I am his uh, for his work and for all that he wants to do through me and in me. And so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 is the first. The second is John chapter 10 verse 10. I want to focus on the second part of that where he talks at the beginning. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But then Jesus talks about, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And when Jesus uses that last little phrase, he didn't just say, I've come that they may have life. He said, I want you to have life that is to the full. And that word is abundance is what that word means. And it's not talking about your bank account. It's talking about your soul, talking about your heart and your life and, and your walk with him. Um, whenever you buy a water bottle, if you were to walk into the store and buy one of these, um, you would notice that it is full. If you were to walk up and see the level right there, you would say, well, that is full. And you're right, it is full. But the word that Jesus uses for abundance or that, that full life isn't that you're full. It's that word that's that overflowing. It's like they've turned on the spigot and it just keeps going. And they don't turn it off. It just keeps overflowing and overflowing and overflowing um, to the, the environment around it. It's that overflowing and never stopping thing is that Jesus wants to give into our life and work into our soul. And so I just want us to ask the question again from Medicine Max. What is it on earth that you have that's worth living for? And our answer to that question is crucial because we're, I'm going to introduce to you four themes, four words here today that are going to kind of come up several different places. But the first one kind of starts on the negative side. It starts where our emotions, yeah, those two verses are true and we know them, a lot of us know them, at least if you hung around church for a while. But there's this underlying feeling, emotion, uh, sense that oftentimes we wrestle with in our life that is, uh, is a crucial place where if I'm going to grow from, 
calling over my life, I have to start with this. It's this holy discontent, it's this restlessness that oftentimes uh, we have. It's this sense in which um, I am busy, I am doing more than I'm ever doing, I am probably spending more than I've ever spent. I am engaged in more than I've ever engaged. I know more than I've ever known. But there's just this sense in which it's, there's this discontentedness. There's this restlessness inside of us. And I put the word holy in front of it because I want to differentiate this from just general sense that tempts us to say, okay, well, if I've got this discontentedness about my life and this restless feeling in my life, then maybe if I just go have more experiences that get my heart beating faster, maybe that's what's going to settle my soul or, or relieve that. Or, or maybe if I just go make more or do more or have more or, or become more or more people know me, whatever, all these worldly things that aren't bad things, but they're just attempts for us to fill our soul and feel that discontentedness and restlessness, um, I don't want us to go there. I, I think God is inviting us in this series to a holy discontent, to realize that, yes, it's not what it should be, and there are these gaps and holes and struggles and restlessnesses, restlessnesses, this is, this is, I don't know how many S's you want to put on there, in my heart and my soul, but the answer to it is a holy answer. It is a God-shaped answer. Um, C.S. Lewis would call this feeling this unfulfilled eternal longing, an unfulfilled eternal longing. And by that, he would say that, that you and I are going through life trying to fill our hearts and our souls with things that are, really have a, an eternal, a godly answer to them, and yet we're trying to fill them with non-eternal things. And that's always going to leave us lacking and empty. And so that word, uh, that theme, that idea is one that, that we have to wrestle with, that I have to get down and say, okay, where are the places in my life where I feel discontented, I feel restless, um, because we got to be honest with God, with ourselves in all of those things. If I was to illustrate this, I didn't bring a whiteboard up here, I should have probably, but I didn't have one that was probably stage-worthy. They're all kind of falling apart. Um, but there, if I was to put a whiteboard up here with a big old arrow going this direction, and if we were to label that arrow um, God's leading, God's work, God's mission, God's plan in the world that is all going that direction, that sense of disconnect and restlessness in my life is probably um, in direct correlation to how much is the arrow of my life in union with God's direction and God's work and God's mission in the world. Because if my arrow is not even on the radar, if my arrow is going that way, I'm going to always have that restlessness and discontentedness. If my arrow is maybe on the page, but it's kind of going this direction, which all of us have that, um, I've got some things, I know about God, I know some things, I'm kind of leaning his direction, but, but really my arrow is in the wrong direction. The goal of all this is to say, well, how do I make my arrow more in line with God's person, with his mission, with his heart, with all that he's trying to do in the world, because the more I align my life with what he is doing, the more that discontentedness and restlessness begins to be filled with eternal things. And all of a sudden, I find things that are really worth living for. And so that's what we hope to do with that. I want to address that feeling, that sense, that emotion that sometimes lies within us, that sense of restlessness. And so the second word I'm going to give to you is this. We start with that sense that we all kind of have at different places and times in our life. 
But the second word that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks is, I don't know if it's a Bible word, I think the Bible speaks to it, but we're going to use this, this phrase, I think it's from Bob Buford, and other people have used it, lots of people use it, it's the word sweet spot, okay? Our second word that I want you to write down is the word sweet spot. Um, and, I, and by that, you know what a sweet spot is, right? A sweet spot is one of those things that when something that is created, designed, and purposed for a certain thing gets used in that context of that purpose, it creates a major impact, right? Now, I'll illustrate it this way. Um, I know it's Super Bowl Sunday, but I'm going to use a baseball and a bat, okay? All right, so... Um, this is my uh, 1945 vintage bat I used to play with when I was a kid, apparently with the black tape on it. So my son found this in the basement, so I don't know where it came from, but it works for what we're going to do here today. So a sweet spot illustrated as this. On this bat, there are certain parts of this bat you could hit with that are going to create more energy and more contact and more results than other parts, right? If you've ever been at bat and you accidentally swung the bat and hit it off the end, you get that little bee stings in your hands, and that's a terrible feeling. Or if you hit it down here off the, off the handle, uh, that's not a good place too. But right, where's the sweet spot? The sweet spot's right in here, right? If I, it never happened in my baseball career, but if I was able to make the bat hit the ball right there in that spot, there's maximum impact, the thing that this bat is designed to do, the sweet spot is going to be right in that area. And um, I may have actually hit it out of the infield. It may be really, really cool. And so, but some of you could make it go a long, long ways. And so when you watch Major League Baseball, when you watch professional people do this, you watch those highlights of how that person hit that home run. Well, you, you can see they hit the bat with the ball in the sweet spot and it created maximum impact, all right? It is a beautiful, nice day outside. So I'll use this one as well. This is a golf club. Um, and supposedly, there's a sweet spot in this club somewhere. I have never found it. I've never seen it. But I, I trust that somewhere in this golf, Michael Cummings is back there. He could show me where the sweet spot on this club is um, because I, I can't find it. But again, whether it's the world of sports, whether it's the world of your career, right? I, I bet there are situations, I hope, at least for some of you, that in your professional life, whatever it is you do in your life, that when you do these certain things because of the way you're wired, the way you think, the way you're gifted and trained in your experiences, when you do certain things, you just feel more alive. You just feel like, man, this is what, this is fun. I like to do this. That's your sweet spots. And so guitars and pianos have sweet spots, right? I have a couple of kids taking lessons of different instruments right now. And, and you can tell when they hit the sweet spot and you can tell when they don't, right? There's, there's a difference in sound and impact and, and, and outcomes, right? And so maybe it's in a sports world, maybe it's musical things, maybe it's your career. Everything has a sweet spot because sweet spots are all about the things, the three words that are at the bottom of your outline, that I put on there, I think I have one of those here, those three little words, the word be, and the word do, and the word go. Um, I think you might have that slide for you, maybe. There it is. That word be, and do, and go. Being is all about what? It's about design, and identity, and how something is made, right? And, and, and doing is about purpose, and going is about position, about where you do those things. And so beginning to ask those questions about, well, what am I made to be? And what am I supposed to do? And where am I supposed to go and do those things are questions that kind of help us think about calling. And so when Jesus talks about in John 10, 10, that whole idea, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, I, I think part of that is helping us to, to know 
the answers to that. Well, who has, called, who has God called you to be? And what has God called you to do? And where has God called you to go to do those things? Now, before you start packing your bags and think, well, I've got to leave the country to do these things, I want us to understand that this isn't preached because I want all of you to leave the country. This is preached because right where you are, so many of you, if, if we just begin to refocus and remind ourselves of be and do and go on a regular basis, just that sense of calling over our life, just in the everyday things that we do, raising our families and living in our neighborhoods and having friendships and going to work and just doing the everyday things, knowing the answers to who has God called me to be and what has God called me to do and where has God called me to do that. Um, I think those are basic things that calling, the journey toward feeling called in your life is about answering some of those questions for sure. And so Jesus talks to us about this idea. So sweet spot, uh, again, we'll talk more about that as we go through here. And so the third word I want you to write down and think about with me, we need to define here at the front end, is the word fullness. Fullness. Um, fullness is that idea. It's that sense in which something has been poured into something, right? This, this water bottle is not full right now because it has been emptied as the morning has proceeded. But fullness is the idea that everything has been poured into this that it can possibly hold and so when we think about, well, how do I allow working and ministering and serving and knowing God out of my sweet spot, and hopefully that begins to address some of that uh, restlessness of the soul, I think the answer to that is this idea of fullness. Um, um, part of that, um, I'll illustrate it this way. You could go get married today, um, and that could be, you could, by the end of the day, you could have a marriage certificate, right? You could find someone, maybe you couldn't, but, but I won't go there. But hypothetically, you, you and someone else, you could get married today, right? Um, and in marriage, all it takes really to do that is you need a license and you need someone to say, I do, I guess. I don't know what their official procedure is, but, but that would, you'd have a marriage, right? But that is a completely different thing than having a marriage, right? The big M word there. The idea that this is something that is enriching my life, that is giving, it's life-giving and life-changing, right? And so the idea of just knowing the Lord and knowing about the Lord versus something that is enriching and changing and pouring into you and, and it's changing who you are is kind of what I'm talking about when we talk about fullness. It's the idea of, yeah, I've got a certificate and a ring, or do I have a life-changing, life-giving um, um, relationship that is pouring into me and I'm pouring into it and, and it's producing life changing, life change. And so when we think about fullness, that's what I'm talking about. And so the more I I'll lean into the fullness that God wants to pour into my life and into your life, the more I begin to see God at work in all of those things. Bob Buford, I wrote a book a number of years ago um, called Halftime, and he wrote it for people like me, uh, old middle-aged men, which I sadly admit that I am, a middle-aged man who is not in his 20s and 30s anymore, and he realizes that all those ambitions and thoughts and dreams and passions that, okay, I'm going to change the world, and nothing changed. And now I'm in my 40s and 50s, and I'm thinking, well, what in the world do I do with myself now? How do I find significance when all those things that used to be maybe aren't? Life is just different, and it's, it changed. And, um, and some of the material he wrote uh, in, in line with that, he asked two, really two, two key questions 
that at the end of your life, if you were to stop at the middle of your life and say, okay, by the time I'm done, what are the things that really matter? And he kind of summarized it in two key questions that I think fits into this fullness idea. Here's his two questions. Number one, what did you do with who Jesus said he is? What did you do with who Jesus said he is? At the end of your life, that matters a great deal. What did I do with this news, with the knowledge of this is who Jesus said he was? Son of God, my Savior, these Lord, all those things. What I do with that? Because that has shaped everything about my life. All right? But the second question he also tied in with that is, what did you do with what he gave you to work with? And I think in wrestling with those questions, I think that's where that whole fullness idea of calling is like, okay, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he has put these things in my grasp, opportunities, struggles, all these things that were underneath the umbrella and the, and the workings of my life and the influence of my life, what did I do with those things? And Bob um, kept track of these things with a picture on his wall that um, I want to show you a picture of. It simply just is a picture of Ace um, that simply says, poured in, poured out. Um, and that was his reminder of what this whole life finding significance and sense of calling. It's about God pours into me and then I just pour that back out in the lives of other people. And I can never outpour God. He can always pour more into my life. And so he used that in these two questions, I think, illustrate that idea that what did you do with Jesus and who he said he was is about him pouring into me. Uh, It's about being poured into. And what did you do with what he gave you to work with is that idea of pouring out. And so this whole idea of fullness as we talk about this the next few weeks um, is just this whole idea of God is going to pour, needs to pour into my life and I need to put myself in a place to allow him to do that so that I might pour myself out towards others. Okay. And then finally, the last word is this. Uh, number four is the fourth word is calling. So the journey towards calling really begins with a wrestling with, okay, I've got this discontentedness, this restlessness of, of heart. I believe there's a place that, that I'm going to be my best version of me, that sweet spot. I believe that in that place, um, God can use me best. Um, and in order for me to get to that sweet spot, he's got to pour into me. I, he's, I need to be full of him as much as I can be, growing in that, experiencing that. And then finally, that's going to result in, in calling. And so there's this journey that God is inviting us on. And, and by this, this is not a perfect definition, but we're going to work with it for the next few weeks. That calling is fundamentally about having the fullness of Jesus in me and overflowing or carrying that fullness to others. Um, so it's, again, it's about what do I learn from Jesus? What do I gain from Jesus? What work is he doing in my life? And then just how do I allow that to overflow from me into the life of someone else or the lives of somebody else as in the world? And so... That calling idea, that journey, that's where we're going to go the next six, seven weeks here. Um, But I want to break calling down into two things, because sometimes the thing I like about this material we're going to go through that's based on a book that Todd Wilson wrote, and I love the, the, the premise of it, because sometimes we think about calling and we only think about, well, that's just for a special select group of people. That's just for the the people that God really picks um, in the world. And there are places like that. If you read the Bible, there's a lot of people that would say we're called, right? Um, Abraham is called to leave his home and to go to a place. Um, Noah had a calling on his life. Moses had a calling on his life. Um, You can go through a lot of David, um, so many prophets, lots of different people. Peter, disciples, Paul, a lot of people had a calling on their life. There was, a, there was a moment that they could say, hey, hey, there's a burning bush. There was this brilliant light in the road. There's all these moments of calling. Um, but for every Moses, there were hundreds of thousands of Israelites who never saw a burning bush. 
And so where does that leave them? And so there, there's this inferiority complex. Well, some of these people, some of the people you know, they've got this all figured out, right? Their calling is clear, and they've had their moment, and, and you're just kind of floundering, thinking, well, where in the world does that leave me? <laughs> I haven't seen a burning bush. I don't, there's no bright lights on the road except the lights when I'm in the wrong lane on the highway at night. That's the only bright lights I've seen lately. And so what do I do with that? What do I do with that? Um, what I like about this material, when we think about the words be, do, and go, there are two layers to that that involve all of us. If you are a follower of Jesus, that, that, that involves you in. On the primary level, um, if you go to the next slide, that primary calling is something that every person who is a follower of Jesus here today, this applies to you. They both apply, but this one is just, uh, it, I don't use the word generic in a negative way, but it applies to all of us, right? Every person who's a follower of Jesus, this primary calling is over your life, that God is pouring into us, it's the relational part of our life with God, um, and that he is calling me to be. In the next three weeks, we're going to look at this primary calling of, of what does God call me to be, and next week, we're just going to think just the invitation of God to, for us to be his, right? just to be his. Um, to be, what does he want us to do, and what does he want us to go? And there are general things that every follower of Jesus has that calling over their life. And so regardless of your gifts, your talents, your knowledge, your lack of knowledge, whatever you may be, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's over your life, okay? That primary calling. But there's also a secondary calling, which gets into, okay, as we're all trying to be disciples of Jesus and, and living out this whole life and faith thing, in the midst of that, you are a unique human being. And I mean that as a compliment, all right? You are a unique human being that God has created you in unique ways and that you are created to do unique things and maybe in unique places. Um, and so when we think about that secondary calling, I, I, we're gonna start with the foundational part and build onto that because I think it's important to start not with the, hey, go pray for your burning bush moment, but hey, Jesus has invited us all to be a part of this this moment, this movement, this, this part of just being his. And then out of that, he's going to begin to highlight circumstances and stories from your life that are going to shape you and make you unique. You have gone through things that out of your faith that God can use to do some unique things with. And some of you have passions that other people don't have. And you have a passion for certain things. And that's a God thing, right? And God wants to use your stories and your, your passions. And he wants to use your giftings. Because some of you have unique gifts that don't, not all of us have. And as we all step into that and use those unique gifts, some with mercy, some with teaching, some with giving, some with faith, whatever may be all the Bible gifts that it talks about, all of those things make the body better and stronger and healthier and, and better, and, uh, a servant for Christ. And so calling as we think about it, and I'm going to illustrate it with this. Uh, this is a picture of a what? Help me out here. A boat. I'm not, it's not a trick question. It's a boat. Yes, it is a boat, right? It's, no, that's Jesus. No, it's a boat. Okay, it's a boat, all right? You don't have to give me the Sunday school answer. If you were a boat, if you were a boat, you are a boat, okay, in this illustration. All of us are like that boat, right? And so if I was to put that boat in the water, and you'll see the oars there. Some of you don't realize that boats, before there was motors, you actually had to row, row, row your boat gently across the stream, down the stream. And so, but if you just put that boat in the water and don't put any oars in the water, um, where's that boat going to go? It's going to just drift. Wherever the environment around it, it blows it, the wind is flowing that, or the water is flowing that way, it's just going to go with that. And when you and I choose not to look to calling, think about calling on our life, 
what we're going to do is we're just going to go with the flow of what everybody else around us is doing. Um, and that's not the best version of us. I don't think God's inviting us to that. God always wants his people to be intentional. He wants us to be going in the direction that he is going, back to our large arrow um, illustration. God wants us to be intentionally going that way. But if I don't have either oar in the water, I'm just going to drift wherever the winds of culture, of whatever, whoever I'm around, I'm going to drift from that. And so if I don't put any oars in the water, I'm going to drift. But if I put one oar in the water, um, it could be maybe I'm really big into the primary calling. That's a good thing. Maybe I'm really seeking God in the secondary calling, but I'm not blending them together. What happens if I just put one oar in the water? First of all, I get a really big bicep on one side of my body and a really small one on the other. But if I do that, what do I do? I go in a circle. I'm just going to spin in circles. and That's going to be frustrating, and I'm always going to be struggling with that. And so the, the good part of this, I think, is that primary and secondary calling, they work together. I'm always, as a Christian, as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm always going to be living out that primary calling. Those things never change. I'm always going to, and like next week I'm going to give you a big long list of those things and what that looks like. Um, but when I'm also pursuing, okay, God, in the midst of this, just being your disciple, there's these gifts that you've given me. There's these passions I have. There's these, there's these stories that are part of my life that are just part of who I am. And, and you can use each one of those in unique ways. And so God can draw and, uh, and again, that just increases the, the, the motion and the movements in the direction of God. All right? And so let me read a few verses. Last fall, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but last fall we went through the entire book of Ephesians. And if you think that the, book, the word fullness is weird, you just need to go back and read the book of Ephesians because the book of Ephesians uses this word fullness five, six, seven times. Um, and I just want to read you a few of those verses as we wind down here. Chapter 1, verse 22 and 23 says this. Um, and he, God, put all things under his feet. Jesus put him under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things. In other words, Jesus is in charge of all things, but he gave him to the church, right? So there's Jesus up here overrule, ruling over this church, his church, his people, which is his body, the fullness. There's that word, pouring all of him into us. The church is not an obscure thing. It's people who have God in their life. It's, it's his body, the fullness of him who fits all, who fills all in all. And so God is, you see that process. God is wanting to fill the lives of people, and those lives are going to fill the world. So we use the theme when we look through Ephesians, nooks and crannies, uh, because of that idea. That how does God get who he is to every nook and cranny of creation. He could write it in the sky, but he has chosen to work through the lives of individual people like you and me and millions and billions of us around the world that he longs to fill his fullness into the lives of those people. And then every one of us are going to go to unique places. We're all going to go to different parts of the world. A, a negative example of this is that whole coronavirus, whatever that thing is in China, right? What are they, what are they doing? They're trying to keep people contained because... It spreads the more interaction they have. And that's what God wants to do in a positive way with who he is and letting the whole world know who he is, what he is up to in the world. That leads us to Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, we are, creation, we are his creation, pours into us, and we live out the good works that he has made for us to live. And finally, Chapter 3, verse 18, being rooted and grounded in love, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may what? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God.
So the more we know him, the more we know about his love for us, and we live in that, and we experience that, and we, we live that out. That's just that fullness he wants to pour in. And he continues throughout the book. We won't have time to look at it today, but we will in the next few weeks here. So that fullness idea. Um, and just there's a sense of calling over my life than when I know that, man, God has created me. I am his. I'm his creation to do his works in this world. And those are bigger missions than just I woke up this morning. I went to work, made a paycheck, paid some bills, ate supper, and went to bed and did it again tomorrow. There's something bigger, and that's the eternal thing that God is inviting us into, all right? And last is this. What will keep us from experiencing all this? What are some of the things that will make this hard for us? Number one is this. There are barriers that stand in our way that are things like noise and confusion of life, right? Um, there's, I'm an old, part of being a middle-aged man is now my wife and I can't hear each other. And so we're always saying, what? Because I couldn't hear her, right? Because there's noise, the dryer's running, the children are playing their beautiful instruments, all those kind of things are going on. I can't hear because noise and, and confusion blocks the signal. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would just be quiet as we listen to God the next few weeks, that we would hear what he has to say to us about his calling over every one of our lives if we are his. Number two is wrong scorecards. Some of us are playing by the wrong scorecard. Um, and what I mean by that is if you and I were to take this beautiful day and we were to go play miniature golf, and if my scorecard said par is always one, I'm going to be really frustrated because I can never make a hole in one in mini golf. I can never do it. But maybe your scorecard says par is seven, and so you're getting like double, double bogeys or no, double birdies. See, I don't even know how to say it. Double birdies and all these wonderful things, eagles and all these. Your score is going to be great, and you're going to be very happy with it because your scorecard is different than mine, or I'm going to be very frustrated. Well, Jesus talked about scorecards a lot. And when you read Jesus' words, he's always asking us to say, well, what scorecard are you playing life by? Um, as an example, he said, hey, don't uh, spend all your life accumulating everything here on earth, but instead store up treasures in heaven. Right? That's a different scorecard than, than the normal model of our world. Right? Our normal model is build up all I can here, spend it here, enjoy it here, have it here, and that's great. Don't really think about the future. But Jesus says, well, I want you to live your life with a different scorecard because all this stuff is ultimately going to get lost. Moths will eat it, rust will destroy it. Thieves will take it, whatever it may happen. It's going to go away. And when you die, it goes away anyway. Um, but there is a different scorecard you can live to um, that is, is bigger and better and eternal. It ties in with that mission that God is on in the world. And so I would just like for you to think about the scorecard that you are measuring your life. What is success in your life? Is it having the most, being famous, being liked, whatever it may be? What is the scorecard that you are living by it's easy to see it in other people, right? I mentioned the Oscars earlier, which I don't really care about that. But it's easy to look at all those Hollywood people and say, oh, man, those people are living by such crazy scorecards. They just want to be rich and famous and, and all that stuff. And, and they're just, they're crazy. It's easy to see that in other people. But it's harder to see it in ourselves. We get blind spots to it. And so maybe we need to stop and say, well, what are the wrong scorecards that I'm living by? And number three is, is burying my talents. Uh, burying me talent. Um, that's, it's pirate day. You didn't know that. Um, but uh, I didn't get a chance to change that slide after first service. And so that should say burying my talent, okay? Unless you want to go with the pirate thing, then we can go burying me talent, maybe. All right, so. But that comes from Matthew 25. Um, remember, Jesus tells the story of a master who gives three of his servants 
three different gifts. One's five, one's five talent, one two talents, one, one talent, all of them different measures of money. And he says, doesn't tell them specifically what to do. He says, just go and be faithful with it. Well, what's that mean? What am I supposed to do with this? How, what does faith, being faithful mean? Well, they, the guy with five and the guy with two, they go and invest it and multiply it. And the master comes back. They give him back more than he had. They used it. But there's that poor guy, the one talent guy, who it says out of fear, went and just buried it. The master came back. He went and dug it up, dusted all the dirt off of it, and gave it back to him. He says, here's your talent back. Didn't waste it, but I didn't use it either. And the, and the master was angry at him in that story because he wouldn't take that one gift and said, look, at least go put it in the bank, <laughs> earn some interest or something out of it, do something with it. And I think some of us live in fear of this whole calling thing. I don't know where it takes us, what it does with us, but I hope that we would be um, honest enough, that we'd listen enough, that we would measure our lives and that we would be courageous enough to say, God, um, I really believe, first of all, I believe you could take me to a place where my life could make bigger difference. I could have a better place of sweet spot and, and I can know you more, I can know myself more and how you're working in my life. That's a, that's a beautiful place to go and I believe that you could take me there. And some of us doubt he, could, he would do that um, because we're insecure. Some of us are afraid to step out. Some of us are afraid to let go of some things that we really like in life. And so all of those things, I just pray that we would be prayerful about this week, that we would overcome some of those barriers. And so a holy discontent leads us to thinking about, well, God, there's a sweet spot, a place where I could know you best and I could serve you most. And that leads us to this idea, well, if that's gonna happen, then I need all of you. I need your fullness to pour into my life. And that all results in the sense of, there's a calling on my life for something bigger that I'm in line with, with my heavenly father about. And so I would ask for you to pray about those things. And next week, we're going to look um, at that first word, be, um, and just the beauty of just being his. And so I invite you to pray for that, think about that, um, and uh, we'll dig into that next Sunday. Let's pray together, please.